0: Bible's open there because I'm going to continue to read in Colossians 3. But to start, if we could go to Colossians 3.14. It simply says, and above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And tonight I'm going to be talking about putting on love it said above all these things to put on charity you can go ahead and be seated if we could just one more time let's just thank the lord jesus we love you we thank you god for this opportunity to be here tonight open our hearts and our minds to receive your word we thank you lord in jesus name amen amen the new york Daily news recorded that during a tennis match in Spain, um, I'm not a big tennis fan. Uh, Those of you that were at the Life Group know that sports is not a love of mine, Um, but there was this big tennis uh, player, Rafael Nadal, and he was up to serve and suddenly there was like a commotion in the crowd um, and they realized that it was a mother had lost her young daughter and was searching for her and Nadal stopped the whole match, and he stopped serving and just stood there and wait you know concerned and the whole crowd got involved, everybody was looking for this little girl and so once they were then reunited, they continued with the game, but it 's definitely not the norm, right? Normally they just keep on playing. Whose business is it? What's going on? You know, could have been no concern at all. In a world of self-focused, distracted people, when a moment of compassion bursts through the mundane, um, it can stop us in our tracks. You know, there's this whole movement around acts of kindness and things like that. And so um, stories of people helping others during crisis warms the hearts of people all over the world and opportunities for showing God's love are all around us. And hopefully we will be sensitive enough to stop and show his love in the midst of a seemingly unloving world. If we look, we can exhibit love and compassion in the most unexpected places. So if the world's can recognize kindness surely when we show the love of God that can absolutely be recognized. So tonight I'm going to be talking about putting on love. If you could go back to your Bibles to Colossians 3, I just want to read that whole thing so we can kind of get some context. So we're going to start at verse 5 and read down to verse 17. So Colossians 3 and 5, it says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Verse 7, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them, but now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Verse 9, lie not one to another seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bows of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And then verse 14 says, and above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, and whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus what just a beautiful passage of scripture that we have. And in there, I want to kind of, as we're talking about putting on love, emphasize a couple terms that they use. They talk about putting off the old man and putting on the new man. And there's this story of This Eskimo fisherman, every Saturday afternoon for several months, he walked into this small Arctic town with two dogs, and the dogs had been taught to fight on command. And so every Saturday, the townspeople gathered to watch, and they placed bets on which would be the top dog or the winner. And the outcome of the contest changed unpredictably from week to week with no apparent reason, and one Saturday, the husky was the champion, and the next weekend, the malamute. But no matter which animal won the fight, the fishermen always came out on top. And so the townspeople grew suspicious until one day, uh, one of the men spoke up and said, how do you always know which dog will win, he asked. And the fisherman smiled, and he said, I feed one and starve the other. The one I feed wins because he is strong. Like a man choosing which dog to feed, we as Christians must choose which nature that we are going to nurture, the carnal nature or the inner spirit. And the one that we feed is the one that will grow. The one will subdue the other. The one that we feed will win out in the end. We, as Christians, can't expect to feed our carnal nature and expect to overcome temptation. We can't feed into the old man but expect to just be a new person, a new creation in Christ. The one that we feed will win out in the end. And in tonight's text in in Colossians 3, it begins with the word mortify. This word is often associated with death of the body, right? A mortician, it's talking about death. But according to Strong's Concordance, it also refers to the actual spiritual condition of unsaved men and the ideal spiritual condition of believers in regards to sin. So in other words, once a person is saved, the spirit is alive and the sinful nature is to be mortified or killed off. From a pathology perspective, there are times to cut off parts of the body so that the rest of the body may live. It's a harsh reality, but, you know, infection, gangrene, severe wounds, it's, you take either the limb or the whole body, right? Right? So when Paul instructed us to mortify any members of our bodies that would lead us into judgment, he was telling us to discipline ourselves so that we could overcome our desire for sin. He was encouraging us to line up our behavior with God's call to holiness so that we could strengthen the spirit, the inner spirit, and live. And so... In this letter to the Colossians, Paul, earlier in in the letter, Paul cautioned against being controlled by the commandments and doctrines of men. But then he addressed specific issues in the chapter that we read. He outlined some of those members that need to be mortified, right, that we need to cut off. He identified impure thoughts that are corrupt in themselves and often lead to sinful conduct. Because as believers, we are new creation in Christ. As we grow, we are to become more and more like Jesus. That is the expectation. And that means that being, that means being people of integrity and making choices that agree with who we profess to be and who's God, who God's word says we are to be. And as Jesus lived a life of obedient righteousness, we are called to surrender ourselves to a life of agreement with God's Word so that His nature can be formed in us. His nature and His Word can't be separated, so they should be united in the life of a believer. Jesus taught His followers to live beyond the constraints of a checklist, right? Pastors talked about holiness a lot. It's not just a checklist, um, because If it was that we would always be susceptible to loopholes or exclusions or excuses, right? Our carnal nature will come up with excuses all day long. But he taught us to live honorably by the principles of purity and holiness. That when we come to God, we begin to feed that spiritual nature. We become more like God. Continuing in this passage of scripture, Paul's letter to the Colossians, it was written about the same time as his letter to the Ephesians, and it was even delivered through the same messenger. The letters bear similarities. For instance, in Colossians 3 and 9, Paul wrote, lie not one to another. And in Ephesians 4.25, he wrote, wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Speaking the truth one to another not only honors God who is truth, but it honors our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lying is the result of a corrupt nature that we are called to put off. Jesus said, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So it's kind of a harsh reality, but when we lie, we are choosing the devil, right? We are choosing that sinful, to feed that sinful nature rather than the Spirit of God in us. And so it's saying that our language reveals our parentage, and we must speak the language of truth and not the language of the father of lies. Paul let the Colossian church members know in no uncertain terms that their identities as individuals were no longer based on ethnicity or social status. Wealth, education, religious background, it meant nothing because now they are the people Of Christ. And because they are one, they were each part of the other, right? We are all part of the body of Christ. Paul called them the elect of God. This term refers to those called to be a part of one unified church, people who will later become known as the bride of Christ. We are redeemed with the same blood and we are recipients of that same grace. And because we are his, we are holy, set apart, and dedicated to God. We are also dearly loved and favored by him, together and individually. So the new born-again status applied, is applied equally to all members of the church. Because of that oneness in calling, value, and prominence, Paul advised the church members to put on a new man and clothe themselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. When someone has the born again experience, there should be a change, right? We know that. We recognize that. And we, you know, have been talking with with William about baptism and the old man dying away and coming up a new man, there should be a change. And Paul is outlining here the characteristics between the old man and the new man. And so we are cutting away of those things and putting on the new man. In Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, it says, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And notice that he uses the word is instead of was. He says the the old man, which is corrupt, right? It, it's in relation to the new in the old man in this passage as well as in Corinthians or Colossians I'm sorry that we read Paul used present form language he didn't speak of what was done but what was being done at the moment the church were hearing these words he was saying that the old man is still corrupt and the new man is still being renewed and being given a new nature at the same time of our new birth experience, we are regenerated by the nature of God that we receive in our baptisms of both the water and of the spirit. But we continue in the development process until the day of our final transformation, right? We are constantly and always on this journey to kill off the old man and the new man. Um, and so how is the new man renewed It's created to be like God in righteousness and true holiness. Colossians 3 and 10 tells us by knowledge, the knowledge of God who made humanity in his image. By the knowledge of God, we are renewed in the likeness of him. As we behold God in his word, we see what we are to become and what God is making us. We see what he is and what we should be. And the more we know of him and his nature, the more we should grow to be like him. This is why prayer is so important. The more time you spend with someone, the more you know them, right? The more you get to know their nature. And so as we have this new birth experience and we begin to develop, it's important that we develop a prayer life, that we know who God is, that we begin to... Pray and take on his nature, as well as, of course, reading the Bible. It says, by knowledge of him. There's no better way to find out who God is than by reading his words and knowing him. And so, if we want to follow Paul's instructions, we must have knowledge of God and who he wants us to be. And so, we spoke a little bit about what to cut off. Well, he also gives us what a new person uh, should put on, what that new man should put on. First, it says bowels of mercy. And this is another way of saying tender mercies. It speaks of having deep compassion on those who are afflicted, impoverished, or distressed. As Christian, we should have tender mercies. Secondly, is kindness. It refers to moral goodness and integrity. It speaks of having a sweet disposition and a benevolence towards others. We know through the fruit of the spirit. You know how important this, these are: kindness, and we're talking about meekness, long suffering. But the thirdly is humbleness of mind. It means humility and modesty. It speaks of having a deep sense of one's own dependence upon God. If we're going to be that new man, we have to learn to rely on God. Meekness. It's gentleness or mildness. It includes holding back from retaliating when others have provoked or injured. I think it's such a beautiful thing when you see someone newly converted. You know, they go to speak a curse word or speak out of anger and they stop themselves. It's because, you know, it's a process of becoming like God, having that meekness, stopping, taking a breath, calming down, and not, because our our sinful nature wants revenge, right? That's our our instinct. And so meekness, as we put on this new man, is so important. Fifthly, it states long-suffering which means patience and endurance. It implies steadfastness and extending grace when someone has failed or disappointed. Grace is so important in the church, right? Because we are a group of people who may be very different, but we are all striving to put on that new man. And so... uh, if we have long suffering, we're going to have patience. We're going to extend grace to people. And six is forbearing one another. It means to be lenient and patiently bear up one another under their burdens or their present offenses. Seven is forgiving one another. It deals with granting grace for past trespasses and offenses as well as for any Fault finding or complaining. If we as Christians can put on these things, these are things that right now in our present world are not taught. They are things that are not seen. You know, of course there are good people out there, but we have seen so much a shift in our culture where if we show these things It will make someone stop. It will make someone notice, hey, that's God in them. That's God's love in them. Because we all know that that is not our own nature, right? That is not the sinful nature, but that's God's nature. And so when we put on these things, we are becoming like Christ. And after coming to Christ, we are to stop wearing the old person, the old man with its corrupt practices and start wearing the new. We are to reject the emotions, attitudes, and practices of the past, the things of the former life that were corrupt, and based on deceit are now founded in truth, which will result in righteousness and holiness. Paul's list of virtues all reflect the character of the inner person. And it says, above all, put on love. Love is the source of every Christian virtue, our love for God, his people, and all humanity. Given the importance of love, one might think that it should come first on Paul's list. But in the same way, he ordered the armor of God, which I don't spend about a month, but I taught on the armor of God last time. The same way that he said that at the end, he he identified the shield last, but he said above all, after listing the other armor. He presented love as a covering all the other items the new man should wear. Paul referred to love as a bond. Love unites all the other virtues and makes them complete. Any spiritual gift put in operation or Christian quality expressed without love is incomplete and imperfect. We talked about the gifts of the Spirit um, and just how important love is in that process. Without love, any attempt at virtue is hypocritical at best. God's love is a thread that weaves through every aspect of His nature and which is to be present in the nature of those who are becoming more like him. One Bible commentary referred to charity as the crowning grace, covering the multitude of others' sins, and that it must overlie all the other graces. What a beautiful thing. And all of those things that were listed, mercies, kindness, humbleness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing, forgiving, all of that, people can tell if you're genuine or not, right? You can see right through that, but when you have love, it works its way into every aspect of all of those things, every opportunity that you have to show humility or grace to someone If it is covered in love, people will see the new man in you, will see God in you. In Ephesians 3, 17 through 19, Paul expressed his desire that believers through their faith would experience Jesus settling down and making permanent residence in their hearts. That they should be rooted deep in love and secure on the foundation of his love. The abiding love of Christ would give people the ability to comprehend more greatly the breadth, length, height, and depth of God's love. And once they knew that better through their personal experiences with God, the love of God would fill them with all the fullness of God. Again, we see a pattern of knowing, loving, and growing. It was Paul's desire for the believer's to whom he was writing this to become completely flooded and filled with God Himself. Then, irony in Paul's words is that he knew God's love was too wonderful to be measured. Yet, he communicated his desire that people's lives would be filled with all that God is, which is greater, higher, wider, and deeper. When that happened, their conduct and character would display. God to the world, and the same is true for us today. In 1 Corinthians 16 and 14, Paul wrote that everything should be done with love. Peter also emphasized the importance of love. All things should be done with love and motivated by love. The whole of a person's conduct, every behavior and attitude should be governed by Christian charity. Thoughts of the Lord should be prominent in our hearts and in our conversations. And in the passage, it talks about peace. The peace of God is not something we can manufacture for ourselves. Where the love of God lives, the peace of God should reign. Where the love of God lives, the peace of God should reign. The old man is conquered when the new man chooses God's ways over our ways. Where the Lord is recognized as Savior, his redeemed are governed by peace. And that's in Isaiah 60, 17. Colossians three fifteen emphasizes that believers are called into one body. Every member of the body is a sinner saved by grace, filled with the Spirit of God. When something is filled there's no room for anything more, right? If a pitcher is filled with tea, there's no room for lemonade. The believers filled with the love of God should allow no room for animosity among them. Instead of strife, peace and thankfulness should be evident in the lives of us spirit-filled believers and in the church of God. Paul concluded His teaching in this portion of scripture saying, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. This verse contains the only occurrence of the phrase word of Christ in the Bible and specifically refers to the words and teachings that Jesus spoke while here on earth. It incorporates the gospel and all the doctrines Jesus taught his disciples. And that would include the whole Bible and the entirety of God's communication with humanity. The Lord's beautiful teachings should dwell richly, abundantly, and plentifully in our hearts. Paul seemed to be saying in verse 16 that the word of God, living in us, should be so abundant it overflows and spills out in songs of praises and blesses and encourages others. Every word and action should reflect our faith and bring glory to God. And I understand that that's not an easy thing to do, right? We live in the world, but we are not of the world. But every action, That we have, even when our coworkers make us angry, even when (laughs) things aren't going our way, no no matter what, right? Our actions and our, our words should reflect our faith and bring glory to God. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all in the glory of God. We are called to embrace the will of God in whatever work we do, whatever words we speak, and whatever ways we live. All is to be done in God, with God, unto God, and in the name of God. And when it is, it will be done in the strength of God according to his desires. If we could stand tonight, the Christian characteristics Paul describes in Colossians can't be faked for long, especially when a person comes face-to-face with opposition or trials. Until the Lord returns for his bride, a believer's new man and old man dwell in the same body. The body lives on with its pull on the spirit. The spirit exerts itself to live above carnality, and all the while the soul strives to be conformed more and more to the image of God. As long as there is breath in our lungs, it is up to us to serve as our own spiritual morticians, preparing the dead for burial, those carnal thoughts and deeds severed by the sword of the Lord as we renew ourselves in the word of God. We choose, we choose to walk after the flesh or after the spirit. When we choose to allow the word of God to lead us, the attributes of God's character become evident in our lives. When we put on the things that make us more like Jesus and we unite with him and one other in loving bonds of perfection, in John seventeen twenty three, it says, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them and as thou hast loved me. So tonight I just want to encourage you to show the love of God. I know that everyone here tonight has been battling that old man a long time. Maybe there are some watching online that this is all new to you. Hallelujah. But I want to encourage you to feed the inner spirit, hallelujah, to cut off the areas in our life that would feed our sinful nature so that we can become like Christ, so that he can do a work in us and so that others can see God through us and in us. Hallelujah! So I just want to invite you to the altar tonight. If we could just pray. Maybe there's something in our life, in our hearts that we need to cut away tonight. Or maybe it's just emphasizing God's love in our everyday actions. Hallelujah.